thank you for everyone joining us today. It's very nice to see your faces and to meet you virtually. I feel very honored to be in your presence. Um, some of my work uh, dovetails very much with some of your work. And so please correct me or raise any issues that you see with um, what I'm presenting today. Uh, this presentation is a kind of an on, a beginning work on devotional literature and stemming from what my dissertation work was, was really looking at how devotion functions uh, philosophically and epistemologically for uh, the Nyingma tradition. And I did that looking through um, several, uh, for one, foundational practices, uh, nundro practices, and uh, especially how it is used within guru yoga, uh, Lame Neljor practices, and trying to understand what devotion really is for the Tibetan uh, tradition. Um, so this work kind of just moves from that a little bit and trying to start to explore how we can look at uh, devotional literature, maybe as a whole for Tibetan Buddhism. And so just to give you a little, so today we're going to look at uh, three different texts. Two are by the third Dojupshin, Jigme Timpe Nima, 19th century, um, and really touching upon excerpts found within these texts on his teacher, Jamyun Kinze Wangpo, um, also 19th century. And so um, just for an introduction, the third Dojupshin, he was a lineal holder of the Longqing Nintuk. And about the eight, at the age of eight years old, Pacha Rinpoche um, heard him speak and uh, told Jamyun Kinze Wangpo about the student and so put them two into contact. Um, Jamyun Kinze Wangpo is um, recognized at the age of 12 by. Um, as a Tartse Kinchen Jampa Namke Chime. And he's also um, described as being a reincarnation of Jigme Lingpa. And whether that recognition was during his life or after his life is still in question, but he also holds a special place for um, the Nyingma tradition and also an important influencer for the Remain movement. So those are kind of the that's the main relationship and for devotion I'm going to look at um, or highlight for today. Um, and in doing so, I'm going to look at three different texts. The first one is a commentary by the third Dojupchen on Guru Yoga called Lame Neljur Yeshe Chuksil Namsulin Sul Kriyik Duchawa Drupta Konchik Pelter. And so there's a few points in the text where um, the third Dojupchen is really exploring, uh, sharing stories about Jamyun Kinze Wangpo. Some of them are miracle stories. Uh, one in particular is Jamyun Kinze Wangpo is sitting outside in the cold and it's snowing and the snow is melting. And so he's telling this miracle story. Um, and then other points in the text, he's also giving commentary on how Jamyun Kinze Wangpo's qualities mirror uh, Buddha qualities and so forth. The second text I'm going to look at is Pui Yulgi Lopun Chempo Manjushri Dharma Ta 
Mitra, Shaki Tokpa, Dotsam Dutjupa, Chikting Kundu Gawe Ter, which is really um, recalling uh, past lives for Jamyun Kinsei Wangpo. Uh, I'm in the just beginning to translate this text, so I don't have a lot to share on it, but what I do have translated, I want to share with you to show how we can see some uh, characteristics in this text and how it uh, also mirrors uh, practices of guru yoga and how the third dojushin is um, connecting his teacher to Buddha qualities. And then finally, my last text that I'm going to touch on is by Long Chimpa, it's a Lama Yang Tikit Soldep Dutsi Trinsok, which is really a supplication prayer. Um, he's praying to the Linnean ma masters and um, praying for to have his own realization. Um, and I chose this one simply because I translated this one as well. Um, so I thought it was a nice way to kind of end the presentation. So those are the three texts that we're going to look at today, just to kind of get um, an opening and introduction to how we might conceive or constitute devotional literature for the Tibetan tradition. Um, and so just to look at the question, I'm asking this question primarily because from what I have seen so far in understanding categories of Tibetan literature that we don't formally see um, see a category called devotional literature. There's, um, for one example, uh, Jose Cabazon in Tibetan literature gives an outline to try to um, help the readers navigate through that uh, work, these different categories. And um, so we have some that we might kind of instinctively see as devotional literature and some maybe that we would not consider so quickly, um, such as uh, long life prayers, or um, you know, sometimes we might think consider a song to be devotional. There can be also other intentions or readings of those texts and having other purposes. But oftentimes we see that you know, text and literature were written to help raise devotion for uh, Tibetan Buddhists within uh, um, the tradition. And then also I want to point out that we have um, certain uh, categories that might also contain other types of literature within them. So Dr. Rosler's work um, in one of her uh, articles in the life writing series that was one of uh, your conferences at Oxford uh, she speaks about how um, there may be smaller or other texts within a autobiography or biography, like a soul depth or um, a song or something. And so within even a piece of work, we find other types of work that we can consider or might consider as devotional or what is, what is, it, what is it doing for the reader? What is it doing for the author? and so on. So I just wanna bring up that when we look at these categories, we don't necessarily see devotional literature um, or faith literature. Um, so that's why I raise this question of how do we constitute something as a devotional literature if we're not seeing that category being presented from the Tibetan tradition itself. Um, and so to kind of move forward on this understanding, um, 
here are some examples of what we might conceive as devotional literature, right? Soul depth, uh, verse eulogies, sometimes liberation stories, namtars might be considered uh, written to raise faith for the reader. Long life prayers are um, praising to the lineage masters. And I also want to raise our understanding of devotion that it may not necessarily just be for religiosity or connection in that, in that sphere, but also we can understand devotion to a political or social or even economic um, connection that we see. So I, when we look at the word devotion from a Tibetan understanding that this may cover a broader range than what we first understand devotion to be in a relationship to only uh, religion. So to begin this understanding of devotional literature, I define devotional literature as a piece of work or an excerpt of work that has a potential to cultivate devotion for the reader. Um, we Sometimes we see it for the author itself, but I think that there are texts also operating for the reader. And in this way, I am borrowing from theories of Rasa theory and how Rasa was written for the reader. Um, so as in Bhattanakya, devotional literature is similar to how Rasa refers to an actual experience and hence cannot be, belong to a character. The whole pur purpose of literature is, to is the enjoyment of Rasa and, it's, and so it can only belong to the viewing or reading subject. And that's from uh, a Rasa reader. Uh, and so I guess what I want to bring up for this is that um, the act of reading for a reader and text um, is performance, that there is something occurring for the reader. There is a connection happening from the reader with the material on the text and that connection may also extend to um, other elements that are or are not expressed in the literature itself. Um, and then also within that as its performance and necessarily is embodied, it also may or may not uh, raise up these ideas or experiences of emotion or affect or something else. And um, I hesitate to think that the intention of devotional literature is to um, bring up emotion because emotion is not really something that is cultivated for uh, Buddhist paths, that it's not something that's helpful. And as we will see later, devotion is considered as the key element for many tantric practices, especially guru yoga, that one must have devotion, one must cultivate devotion to realize Buddhahood for uh, tantric practices. And so we have to start to dissect this understanding that devotion is necessarily emotional, that it may, it may not be, it may be, but that's not the end result, that there is something more occurring for that individual. And so in that way, devotion does not equate to some sort of emotion. Um, so again, just to kind of help us understand where we're going, devotion does not imply an emotion, right? We don't have an, a Tibetan epistemological category. Um, devotion is not a nyundrip or a shadrip, 
it is a um, it is a mental state for Abhidharma, but it is not something that is considered to be um, afflicted. Also, devotion signals connection between the reader and content, which represents practice or lineage or a social context, political context, etc. And then uh, lastly, a devotional connection does affect the reader. There is some sort of experience that is, a, that is occurring for the reader, him or herself. And sometimes this affect can include uh, qualities such as weeping or a heart opening sensation or even a knowing quality. So I am gonna even suggest that devotion is a knowing quality for whether it's a reader in the lit for the literature or in practice itself. Because as we'll see in for guru yoga practices, devotion leads to this knowing. Um, so I really wanna break apart the entomology of devotion, the Tibetan word mugu. Mupa itself, as we see in the um, Siktachemo, it's a verb and can be equated to the word confidence, yiche, or a mind that aspires. And it's a subdivision of the five object determining mental factors as possessing knowledge for the Abhidharma, which apprehends only an actual thing and is not distracted by another object. So in the um, context of guru yoga, the practices is um, the meditator is focusing on its meditational object, which is a deity, which is also um, one's teacher or master in the aspects of a deity. And so there's a, there's a focus. There's um, the meditator is not wandering away, but is really focused on the meditation object, which can, uh, you know, we see to be dualistic in uh, creation stage practices, um, but can also, from what I suggest in my uh, dissertation, that that dualistic um, focus of meditator onto an object, those that dualism can or may dissolve and that there's this for uh, the completion stage practice. And there is a, there's a knowing quality that continues afterwards and may or may not be uh, dualistic. So we see mopa to really um, be a focus for the mind. That is not necessarily how we might consider devotion to be um, in a Judeo-Christian uh, Christian context or this idea of um, maybe blindly or just following after something, but there's a real knowing quality for the meditator that there's, there's some experience and some um, familiarity with the object itself. And because of that familiarity and knowing, it focuses as interested. So I've translated Mopa to, for in, as interest to kind of demonstrate that quality. Um, so that's the first half of Mugu. And for the second half, Gopa, uh, Gopa is, can be defined as paying respect with a clear mind. It is a word which connotes the placing of oneself in a lower position. Um, sometimes I think also in contemporary context, 
the idea of respect or being a student is taken as lesser than, but it's really just con connoting a connection between a student and a master where the student understands that the master is offering something that the student is wanting to receive and that this also that the master is um, emulating qualities that the, the student also aspires to have and to be. And so this part of the word I suggest uh, suggests is a connection. So there's a connector, connection and an interest when we talk about uh, devotion in the Tibetan tradition. So I want to take this understanding of mugu into um, our understanding of devotional literature. So when is it we see um, a respectful or connection and interest between uh, the author and his material? When do we see um, a connection and interest between the reader and the material and what the material represents on a larger scale? So this is how I start to look at some of these uh, pieces of literature and understanding how it is, um, it is devotional for the Tibetan tradition. And so for our, my first, um, excuse me, um, quote, this one comes from the Guru Yoga commentary. Um, third Dojuchen starts off as, for as long as the face of Jamyang Kinze Wangpo abides in samsara, the prophecy stated that no one would need to fear barbarians in Tibet. And I'll let you kind of read the rest of it and I'm gonna skip down to the bottom of it just to spare you from reading. Even a moment of your capacity to pray is not a cause except through wearing my face comes as a great blessing where difficult does not arise and not as a small blessing. So this one's coming from a guru yoga practice, a guru yoga practices when um, a meditator is uh, said to see the face of the deity or see the face of the teacher as mean that they've had some sort of experience or realization and knowing of um, what is being represented by that face or that um, of Buddhahood. And so here we see uh, the third Dojuchen mentioning is, so for as long as someone is seeing the face of John Kinsey Wangpo, I suggest alluding to the idea of being in that state of devotion as it's understood for Guru Yoga and connecting into the wisdom that is manifesting through the aspects of Jamyang Kinsei Wangpo as a deity in Guru Yoga. And then, so there's the in, uh, meditator is connecting to that in that moment that they are no longer um, in samsara and um, receive these great blessings and will not have difficulties. So right away, we are seeing uh, connections between the guru yoga tantric practices, um, what those tantric practices are trying to connect the student to the meditation object. And it's all being done through uh, this devotional connection and relationship to their uh, master, Jamyang Kinsei Wangpo for the third Dojupchen. So here I start to see this um, in this passage, but also throughout uh, this commentary on Guru Yoga and how he's bringing up 
Jamyun um, and Kenze Wangpo and how they are really trying to connect the reader into something larger through this, um, through Jamyun and Kenze. Um, so that excerpt from the Guru Yoga practice, we see it's devotional. Um, the third description is remembering his, uh, his teacher. He's saying that whenever one remembers the face of Jamyun Kenze Wangpo, um, there, is, there, there is no pain, there is no samsara. And so we, it's clearly an expression of devotion and connection. But yet this, these passages are situated within a larger text, which is a commentary on, uh, on Guru Yoga. So we would see the name of the text, not necessarily uh, titled devotional literature, as we notice there is, we don't see a category of uh, devotional literature, but yet here we have excerpts found within the text that are clearly expressing just that, that connection and relationship. And so we could, may understand this to be an entirety of devotional literature, or we see smaller pieces within that. Um, and I'm just going to go on to our next passage. So this one is from the recalling the past lives of Jamyung uh, Kinze Wangpo by the third Dojupchen. And here, my teacher Manjushri Ye, in space, the Buddha teachings climb to the peak of the mountains of the two accumulations. And then um, I'm going to skip a little bit, but just to show how it's really starting to describe the same sort of uh, landscape and imagery that occurs um, within a guru yoga practice, right? The, the, the text itself starts to uh, elaborate upon the landscape and what the, the meditation object starts to look like. So here we have Jamyun Kinze Wangpo. He's sitting there. He was born from an ocean of compassion. He's a, uh, his kindness draws in the mind. Um, one is joyous when they see this, um, G see Jamyun Kinze Wangpo sitting like this. Um, everything turns to beautiful songs. And um, immediately the reader is transformed into a new landscape and a new sort of um, affect that's occurring from the um, text itself. So by... Uh, Giving Jamyun Kinsey Wangpo's name, there's a connection to him and what he represents, and then also on another level with a um, satirical-logical um, connection that that a reader may be able to connect into these other aspects that are uh, similar to Guru Yoga practices. So the author connects these two together for the reader before he continues to speak of Jamyun Kenze Wangpo's praises. Um, and so generating faith and devotion, I just wanna say many texts are written with an intention to generate faith and devotion. And Dr. Rosler 
in the same um, article I was mentioning about uh, life writings, that the texts mirror a specific type of knowing. There's a knowing of enlightenment and Buddhahood. And so as masters and lineage holders and particular persons are qualified with Buddha traits, readers connect with the religious message. So, and I also would want to suggest that it may not always be a religious message. There also may be uh, social and political connections that are occurring through these texts, um, whether it's, we might see um, an affiliation or um, allegiance to a particular lineage. Um, that is not for me to answer necessarily, but I think it's something to start to look at um, and incorporate into understanding devotional literature um, and different aspects of that. And so um, I'm going to finish with uh, Longchenpa's uh, excerpts uh, from his Cloud Banks of Blessings. It's a prayer to the Lama Yangtik. And this is just the first two verses out of that one, and I'll just read it. Oma Hum, beginningless protector, Samantabhadra, Samantabhadri, please love me, bless me so I may now realize the self arisen my nature, luminous essential meaning, infinite peace and wrathful spontaneous conquerors, please love me, bless me so I may now see the self luminous wisdom, great light. Um, this prayer goes on for several pages, and um, each verse is paying homage to a particular lineage master of the Nyingma tradition, and then asking for the power and the blessings to realize a, a characteristic or an aspect of Buddhahood as understood by the Nyingma tradition. And so I think this, um, this prayer really alights upon the connections and um, what occurs for devotional literature and understanding that there is a, um, a connection and a respect of understanding, wanting to um, reach out and um, receive something from uh, the lineage masters or um, aspects of Buddhahood. And it's done so through this, um, these words like uh, tuk. I translated here, love me as a tuk, tukje. And to really just show that there's this kind of, there's really a heartfelt connection occurring here for Longchenpa, but I even would suggest that for the reader as they're reciting it for themselves, that it's um, the performing quality of the prayer is allowing the reader to connect into um, some sort of affective or some sort of medium that allows them to open into these uh, states of realization or something similar to that they're aspiring to do. Um, and so I think when we look at literature or we look at specific types of literature within the Tibetan tradition and understanding that how devotion functions for the lineage itself or the for the tradition itself that we can start to see how connecting might happen uh, in these pieces of literature that is also similar to um, tantric uh, practices such as guru yoga um, 
so I think I'll finish there. I'm sure <laughs> happy to hear any comments or suggestions or questions. Um, and I just want you to know this is some very preliminary research on devotional literature as a whole. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs>